Well, one thing I think that's great about children's ministry is that, well, first thing is this, in order to teach well, you've got to be present with people. And I think that's one thing that's absolutely essential in a, in a children's ministry area. In order to teach kids well, you've got to know the kids in your class. You've got to know their particular needs. You've got to know uh, when Johnny is going to hop up and need to go to the bathroom during during class time and be able to sort of shape your teaching around that. And I, I think teaching adults um, in some ways is really different. Like, you know, you're not you're not going to stop for bathroom breaks in the in the middle of the sermon. But knowing the needs of the people to whom you're speaking is super essential. And I think the better you know your congregation, the more you smell like sheep, the better a shepherd you'll be. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 216. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. And the voice that you just heard is this week's guest, Jared Kennedy. In the conversation that you're about to listen in on, we speak about like the value and the importance of pastors knowing their congregations, whether that congregation consists of children or adults big people or little people. Jared has some valuable advice as well on how to apply uh, what Brian Chappell famously coined as the fallen condition focus. But Jared has kind of a surprising and simplified way for us to get that across to our hearers. Um, Also, there's some insights from his recent book, uh, which is entitled Keeping Your Children's Ministry on Mission practical strategies for discipling the next generation. So Jared Kennedy believes that the Great Commission goes two directions, across the world and from generation to generation. And so I know that you're going to enjoy this conversation. I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's word. Here's Jared Kennedy. All right. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. I'm thrilled to be speaking with Jared Kennedy. And uh, Jared, hi. Good morning. How are you? It's good to be with you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Um, So, yeah, Jared uh, has recently published a book. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, This book has to do with like kids ministry and keeping children's ministry on mission. But before we get into like kids ministry stuff, I'd love to hear Jared about your first time ever teaching the Bible. Um, How was it? How long ago was it? How did it go? It was a long time ago. In fact, I think there are probably some times um, I grew up in a Christian home and was saved in early age. And I think there were probably some times in youth group that I taught the Bible to some other smaller groups um, of youth. But uh, one time I remember was my college sophomore year. Um, I was going to be on a short-term mission team to Arizona, and my home church in Georgia invited me to uh, speak at the evening service to the adults there. And um, I I spoke about Philippians 2 and okay. humility. Okay. And are we missing something? No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm on the edge of my seat here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I spoke about Philippians 2 and humility. Um, and I had just found out that I, when I was serving on this mission team for the summer, that I was going to um, be working at McDonald's 
um, making fries. And I had this like moment of, I'm like a smart Bible college student and I'm, I'm getting sent to McDonald's to make fries. And the Lord used that passage in Philippians to really just convict me of, of the pride that I had um, related to that. Um, and if that wasn't enough, if the Lord convicting me of my sin wasn't enough after I was vulnerable enough to share that during the teaching and, uh, all the deacons of the church called me fry guy for like, for like a week or two after that, before I left on the <laughs> short-term mission trip. So, um, yeah, that's my earliest memory is I, I don't remember what my points were. I remember teaching Philippians two, talking about fries at McDonald's and being called fry guy by the deacons. Yeah. Okay. All right. And when you, after you, you know, prayed your closing prayer and, and stepped down from the pulpit, did you kind of feel like I'd like to do this for the rest of my life? Or are you thinking, oh, I'm glad that's over with? Um, I think there's a little bit of both, right? Mm-hmm. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a, a sense of the Lord's giving me gifts to teach and, and make truths clear. Um, but there's also a sense of the weight and responsibility of sharing God's word with people, um, that I think anytime that I teach, um, I feel, and it's not a dread, um, but it's a significant, uh, weight to it. And then I know, uh, pastors who preach all the time talk about, uh, the Mondays, um, and, and coming after and sort of sometimes being introspective and looking back. And I think especially that first time I felt, Mm. I felt a sense of that. Yeah. And so, all right. And so that was to, was it to, to peers? Was it to other college students or that was the, the entire congregation? No, it was the, it was the evening service at our, our church. So a lot of the folks were a lot older than I was. Yeah. Okay. So your first teaching was to people who are a lot older than you, but I, I kind of gather that much of your your ministry since then has been teaching people who are who are younger than you. Um, That's is that exactly correct? right? Okay. That's right. And and so you are you are like an enthusiastic and passionate kind of advocate for for children's ministry. Um, I, could you maybe help us to to see why it's so important to you and maybe the place that it plays in your heart and and why can it be why should it be important to us as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to me because it's important to Jesus. Um, Jesus loves children and welcomes children uh, to himself. Um, And one of the things he said to, you know, his own trainee Bible teachers, his own apprentices, um, was that if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be like a child. And you must know that when you welcome children, uh, he said, you're welcoming me. And and so I think that's an essential part of our responsibility as a church community. Um, I'm also a dad of three girls. And so I think about that responsibility related to my own family. But it's an essential part of, of the responsibility we've been given as a church community to pass on the things that have been entrusted to us. Uh, to the next generation. And sometimes that looks like entrusting it to faithful men who will teach others also. And and Mm. sometimes it looks like gathering the kids for family worship or gathering the kids in the children's ministry and training them in the gospel so that they'll uh, be able to, to hopefully own it, believe it and own it and tell the generation that's coming after them as well. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, 
uh, looking at Psalm 78, actually, kind of in, in thinking through this conversation. And yeah, I mean, if I could read it, it says in 78.5, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of the Lord, but keep his commandments. And I thought, man, what a what a glimpse into like success, you know, um, to to be able to to instill something into their kids that they would set their hope in God, not forget His works, and keep His commandments. So wonderful, wonderful task, isn't it? It's such a beautiful psalm, and I think the, um, you know, Asaph there is writing uh, to people warning them really because the next few verses talk about the sons of Ephraim who went to war and turned back on the day of battle. And so and I, point, Jared, I stopped reading before the, the, the <laughs> before the, the difficult part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, but I think in that passage, it it's, it's, it's in the midst of a culture where people are facing hostility and they're tempted to shrink back um, from the gospel. And, and in that moment, God gives this responsibility uh, to the fathers. And I, and I think, included there Asaph singing about Deuteronomy 6. So I think this is parents, this is moms and dads who have the responsibility to train their kids in the faith. Um, but he also says he's established a testimony in Jacob and appointed the law in Israel. And so this is a covenant responsibility mm-hmm. that belongs to the church community as well, that they're given for the next generation. And so the Lord gives us both and responsibility, right? Both moms and dads and the church the responsibility to to pour into this next generation that when the trials come, when the difficulties come, they might be able to stand in that day um, and persevere and not shrink back um, in the face of opposition. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. You're obviously quite familiar uh, with that with that passage. Um, so what would you and I, I like the distinction you just made. You, you were saying that, like, yes, it's a responsibility of it mentions dads here and then you expanded that dads and moms um but then kind of highlighting that it's 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 the parents responsibility and the community as well too and i i think it's it's wonderful to see in recent decades kind of the focus on like you know the 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 role of the family and kind of having the family being like instrumental in raising up their children in the faith but i i like how you highlight that it's the community as well too so you'd, you'd believe that there's kind of a community involvement as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think there's a lot of reasons for that, right? I mean, I, I think um, our culture's understanding of the family, it, Western culture's understanding of the family seems to be more individualistic than the understanding of the family back then. And so there would have been a, a whole set of generations behind each kid that, you know, the whole tribe and culture and nation. Um, and I think sometimes in our emphasis um, in evangelicalism on the nuclear family, we sometimes miss out on that long, larger uh, family. Um, but also, I, I think here, uh, you know, Israel in many ways is a picture of the church. And so here, this is the national responsibility for the next generation. It's covenant responsibility. And I think in a, in a similar way, we as a believing community today share that kind of covenantal responsibility as well. One of the ways you see that is when Paul writes uh, to the churches, 
Um, he expects that children will be there and he addresses them directly in his letters. Um, and I think that the fact that that is happening, it, it just demonstrates the responsibility he sees that the church community has for these kids um, and the kids to that community. That was, that's a, I don't know when the apostle is writing and telling you to obey mom and dad. Um, that's, <laughs> that's a, that's a heavy thing. And, and, um, but also a good thing. I mean, it's a level of accountability that I don't think we think about um, sometimes within our church communities today. And thank you. And so for, let's say even those, those men and women amongst our churches that we have set aside and, you know, trained or commissioned um, to be the ones who are teaching or helping the youth specifically. Do you have any kind of like words of advice uh, for them? Any words of encouragement for those that are, I guess in our language, we talk about serving in kids ministry, but those people that are aiming or that are part of the extended family or the, the family of faith anyway, that are trying specifically to encourage the, the youth of the church. Yeah, I, I think if you're part of the covenant community, this is your responsibility to you. And so to believe that reality um, and then believe, um, I think sometimes um, I, the church that I'm a part of has a lot of college students and sometimes a lot of people serving in our children's ministry are our college kids. Um, and they maybe haven't come from homes where they had a lot of younger siblings and, and it's it's intimidating sometimes to walk into a classroom with 15 preschoolers. Um, and so that, that kind of freaks them out a little bit. Um, and I think one encouragement I would give, yes, there's a lot to learn, be humble, um, kind of think through how the curriculum is shaped and, and how to teach the Bible uh, to children. Those are things, you know, we train on, but I think also to believe in that moment, you have the Holy spirit. And the Lord has equipped you uh, with spiritual gifts in order to be a part of this covenant community and pass on uh, your faith to the next generation as well. And so I think there's a, a level of fear and trepidation when you're entering a room of preschoolers that's appropriate. And uh, but that I think there's also a confidence we have because that's one of the mission fields uh, to which we can go where God goes with us. Yeah, so into that room with the crushed up goldfish crackers on the ground and the uh, arts hanging everywhere. So the Lord is with you in there as in entering that mission field. Amen. That's right. So that's yeah, some some words of encouragement for let's say the the youth leaders or the the Sunday school workers. Now this podcast is primarily aimed at like Bible teachers and, and preachers. I, I bet you have some advice uh, for, for us. So you've given advice or encouragement to, to the, the Sunday school workers, but like, what would you say to the preachers? What do you think that us preachers should learn from children's ministry leaders? Well, one thing I think that's great about children's ministry um, is that uh you, I mean, well, first thing is this, like, you just got to, in order to teach well, you've got to be present with people. And I think that's one thing that's absolutely essential in a, in a children's ministry area. In order to teach kids well, you've got to know the kids in your class. You've got to know their particular needs. You've got to know 
uh, when Johnny is going to hop up and need to go to the bathroom during during class time and be able to sort of shape your teaching around that. And I, I think teaching adults um, in some ways is really different. Like, you know, you're not, you're not going to stop for bathroom breaks in the, in the middle of the sermon. Um, but knowing the needs of the people to whom you're speaking is super essential. And I think the more, the better, you know, your congregation, the more you smell like sheep, the better a shepherd you'll be. And so um, I think that's absolutely essential. Jesus says, humble yourself and become like a child, humble yourself and welcome children. Um, and the disciples forgot that so quick, you know, in the very next chapter, that was Matthew 18 and Matthew 19, they're turning kids away. And he says, let them come. I think in the same way, uh, pastors sometimes can feel distant from their congregations uh, and even do the kinds of things that make themselves uh, put themselves at a distance from their congregation. But a better Bible teacher is going to be one who's with people. Um, I think a second thing is in children's ministry, our curriculum and the way we teach is really shaped oftentimes by the kinds of learning styles kids have and, and the kinds of questions they're asking when they come into the classroom. And so you may have one kid um, that's just a, a really dreamy kid that is, is kind of asking the big why question, like, why is this even important? Why do I need to learn this? There may be another question that's the another kid that's the really studious kid. And they're, they're asking the question, like, what do I need to know? I want to know all the right answers. Give me all the like correct things. Um, you've got the other kid that really loves like uh, just to work with his hands and play with the blocks and, and do the crafts. And we do crafts and we play with blocks because that kid is dialed in to really practical application of the lesson in his immediate play. Um, and then I think there, there are the kids that are the artsy kids that are want to create and, and act out stories and, and drama and, and, and we want to inspire them and empower them and encourage them in that. And I think the best preaching honestly does the same thing. It answers the same kinds of questions. And, you know, you think of a preacher like Tim Keller, who is always going to answer the why question, who he's yeah. going to tell you why, why this is important. And he's going to trace uh, that text that he's preaching that day back to the big picture of maybe what's going on in the culture, what's going on in, in philosophy, or the big picture of what's going on in the Bible. And he's going to tell you why this is important. Or they might trace, um, you know, some people are coming to church and they're asking the what question. Tell me what it says. And you've got other pastors like a, a John Piper who are is just like breaking down the text word mm -hmm. by word. And, and I, I think I heard Piper one time say, and chewing on it, like a dog chews on a bone, you know, like, like really working mm -hmm. through mm -hmm. bit by bit. Um, and then you've got, you know, the Bill Bright kind of teachers that are like here practically is like how you practically apply this, knowing that there are going to be folks who come into the church. You just have a bent toward, uh, they love the book of Proverbs and, um, they're the, the person that like, it's just bent toward practical application. Um, and then others who come that day and they just need inspiration. Like, um, sure. and I think of Francis Chan or a David Platt who, who can, can really inspire someone to go out and, 
and change the world. And I think I think we know those different preachers that I named because they have unique emphases and unique styles. But I think we also know them because they're not afraid to. I think sometimes when we teach the Bible, we can make the mistake of teaching just to what we need or what we think we need as the preacher. Um, and I, th- I think those guys are comfortable in their unique style, but I think they're also known um, because they're good at recognizing when people come into the congregation, often they're bringing different questions as well. And so they're able to, Keller sometimes, uh, even though you always know he's going to answer that why question, very often he'll sound like Bill Bright and and just give a practical, here's how you share the gospel with, with someone else, mm. because he knows mm. um, yeah. that the people in his congregation need all of those things. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're saying it's more than saying what we think we'd like to hear, but it's, it's thinking about what kind of people are in the room and how can I present this in ways that connects with their personality styles or learning needs or experiences. Yeah, that's right. Their learning styles and the questions they're asking and bringing uh, and and bringing into the classroom. And I think intuitively, um, because children's ministry lessons and curriculum are written intentionally, both to be accurate reflections of the text, um, we shouldn't be leaving the Bible behind as we teach, but they're also written in such a way as to uh, reflect the particular developmental stage that kids are at and the particular learning styles they're bringing into the classroom. And I think that's something that um, is helpful for preachers to think about as well. Yeah. You, you kind of mentioned earlier on about kind of like arts and crafts. <laughs> um, what are there, is there any way that us preachers can in, engage in any kind of like the kinetic learning or is, is there what do you think about that? How can we involve people in arts and crafts type things? Well, I'm pretty reformed. So okay. I, <laughs> I'm going I'm to hedge my answer with that yeah. a little bit. Um, you know, I, I, I think one of the ways is um, I, I think I, you know, I, I love the liturgical calendar and I just, I just love like learning um shaping what we do as a church community based on uh, a, a series of seasons that celebrate yep. the life of Christ. And, um, and I, so I think sometimes that means in some traditions, changing the colors and the decorations in the, in the auditorium. Um, it may mean shaping with visuals or, you know, with the way that you've, you've crafted your latest, a sermon series to talk about it in the congregation, something that goes along with that season. Um, but it's thoughtfully capturing people where they are when mm-hmm. they're asking all their, those questions throughout their life yeah. and connecting the teaching to that. Um, and so I, you know, I think the drama ministry, I think Mark Dever said this once, the drama ministry of the church is baptism and communion. And, and I agree with that. Um, Wow. <laughs> Jared, this is a very uh, thoughtful answer to kind of a throwaway <laughs> question. So I, and so I I I think that is uh I I think that's better than okay. um than trying to bring crafts out of the kids' ministry into, sure. okay. into Sunday morning. Um, but I 
at the same time, I think, I think thoughtfully relating the way that you're teaching uh, to those things the church is already doing, whether it's through the sacraments or, or through the church calendar and the seasons of the year yeah. um, is a, a way to engage all of those learning styles. Yeah. Well, that's, you handled that, that question very, very well. Um, and, and, you know, there's a, there's a, um, a, a, a guy, I'm not going to say his name. I, I listen to his sermons occasionally because he's, he's from such a different preaching philosophy uh, than, than I am or what we kind of advocate on this podcast even, but I I'm interested in, in what he does. And he's always, he's always asking people, Hey, who saw that, that show? put up your hand if you've seen the latest, whatever, you know, or, and then, you know, oh, now turn to your neighbor and, and say, and say this or that. And it's, it's cheesy. I, I don't really do that. But then kind of once I, I, I had a conversation with somebody about different types of learning styles and kind of realizing actually for some people that really engages them. And that's not the goal. Obviously the goal is to connect, you know, God's word and the, the truth of the scriptures with people's hearts and minds. But for some people raising their hands and to say, oh yeah, I saw that. Or then it kind of helps maybe, I don't know. It's not, not my style. Yeah. I just think, I think you see that in scriptures as well. It's not just engaging your body in worship. Um, but we also see like in the pastoral epistles, like the men of the church and called to pray for the government and raise holy hands in prayer. Um, and I think, also, when the church gathers, we see in the, the book of Acts, them, their posture, they're getting on their knees before the Lord. Mm. Um, I, I think we can do the same thing. So, you know, you know, even stopping in the middle of a sermon and taking time to uh, say, law, get on your knees and, and pray about this particular uh, truth, I think is a is a great way to engage people's bodies and, and get get them involved in the in the sermon and in the teaching. Wow. Yeah. And, and moving it from beyond, okay, well, we need to have arts and crafts or we need to have kinetic involvement, but to even say like, Hey, listen, God calls us to pray. And this is not just a mental exercise, but this is our whole selves. And so as we use ourselves, our body in this, then we're engaged um, in this. Okay. So those are some things that you think that preachers should learn from children's ministry, being present with people uh, you said, and then considering the needs the actual needs of the people, uh, not just what's interesting things we discovered about the text this week, but like, what do we, what do these people, these sheep need? Um, anything else? I'm sure you got heaps of thoughts on this. Um, oh man, I, not that are coming to mind right now. I, I think one thing, um, that I didn't talk about a little bit ago that, uh, children's ministry leaders, uh, really need to learn is, is ways to connect, uh, the text and the gospel to the heart of kids. Okay. Um, and yeah. it's actually really similar, um, to, uh, what a pastor does in preaching. And so I remember in seminary, my preaching courses, we read, uh, Brian Chapel's Christ-centered preaching, and he, he talked about the fallen condition focus and I think sometimes um, in our children's ministry classrooms, we can move toward a place where uh, that's more moralistic, where we're just telling kids what to do, be joyful, be courageous, be courageous like Joshua, be, uh, be brave like David. Um, but actually, I, I, one thing I've learned, and Marty Machowski, uh, Pastor Marty Machowski has been 
uh, someone who's mentored me in this. And one time a group of us were sitting around talking to him about the best way to help kids uh, connect to the gospel. He talked about uh, Brian Chapel's fallen condition focus. And he said, he said something that just stuck with me for a long time. He said, I just want when I'm teaching kids for them to identify with the people in the passage who most need the good news. Um, and that's been so helpful for me. Um, and it, honestly, it's still something I'm learning when I teach adults, but it, it's been so helpful to think about in a kid's classroom. Um, one of my favorite stories is in Numbers 21, the story of the bronze serpent. Um, and it talks about uh, the Israelites traveling through the wilderness and complaining to God, uh, we don't have any water, we don't have any food, and we hate this miserable food. And I read it one time and I thought it's a teenager in front of the refrigerator, like saying, we don't have any food, but we have meatloaf. I hate this miserable food. You know, they, he had given them everything they needed, the manna um, and, and, and water from a rock. And the people were still grumbling against his good gifts. Um, and by helping kids identify with, with the people in the story, helping them see, oh, yeah, I complain like this to my mom and dad all the time. Helping them make that connection helps them see the kind of judgment that comes on our sin of grumbling. Yeah. It, it helps them to see that that's not just a sin against mom and dad. It's also a sin against God. It helps them to see what that they need exactly what God provided for the Israelites. They need it. They need a mediator to pray for them uh, when they're in sin. They need um, something to be lifted up so that they can lift up their eyes and look at that and see and find salvation there. Um, and so then, when we help kids turn to the New Testament and and hear them uh, read to them from John three about how um, how Jesus said, you know. Uh, I, the son of man is just like the serpent in the wilderness that God loved the world in this way um, that he gave his only begotten son. It, it helps them see um, that that salvation that's provided for them isn't just an abstraction they memorize in John three sixteen, yeah. but it's something yeah. that genuinely really connects to uh, specific ways that kids sin uh, every day. And um, who of us has not complained? about meatloaf. And so, you know, I, I think, I think recognizing, um, complaining about manna, complaining about food, which is something every kid has done at, at some point actually has a direct connection to our heart and our need for the good news of Christ to transform and change us. So, so helping kids make that connection. Um, and that's something that, you know, even today, um, when I preach to adults, I've, I've done a lot of more classroom teaching with adults than I've done uh, pulpit teaching. And so that's something that even today is, is uh, challenging to me when I preach is um, focusing on that particular need, uh, that fallen condition focus, um, and, and kind of helping the whole sermon drive around how the gospel meets people there. Yeah. And and young and old, we certainly, we all need that good news, not just as even the entry point into the Christian life, but over and over and over yeah, again. Right. And, you know, and, and sadly, I guess 
you know, kids ministries are, I don't know, stereotypically lacking that. But then I could also say, and so is adult ministries too. It's just, it's deficient all, all around. And so we get in our little echo chambers where, you know, we talk to each other about this over and over again. But uh, in, in my travels, I've just kind of even, it's so refreshing. Like people can be so refreshed by this because they've been going to church for decades and all they're ever hearing is just, you got to try harder. You got to be braver. You got to um, give more or stop doing this. And that type of thing, you know, I, I like how you said it, or you're quoting your friends saying, identify or find the weakest person in the story and then show how God provides for that person's need and then connect our hearers with that. And that's what our kids need. That's what our parents need. That's what we need. And uh-huh. thanks so much for yeah, highlighting that afresh. Has this always been your uh, the lens that you've seen in the Bible, did you kind of stumble upon this at some point or were you just one of the lucky ones who was taught? Well, <laughs> well, I think we're all like, um, legalism is our native tongue. Right. So sure. we, we all kind of yeah. skip away from yeah. the gospel at times. Um, I, one story I tell in the book is, um, the great thing about being a children's pastor, uh, sometimes if I would go into a classroom, like in the middle of the teacher, teaching the lesson, it would, it would freak out the Sunday school teacher that the pastor is kind of looking over their shoulder. And so I would wait, um, which was better for me. I would go during snack time and I would get cookies and juice or or goldfish, you know, goldfish. Yeah. So I would, I would come into a classroom at, at snack time and just ask the kids about the lesson that day. And there was one day, um, I knew the lesson was about, uh, the Israelites crossing the Red Sea and, um, and so I came in and got my snack and sat with, uh, the boys and girls for a little while and said, Hey, what was today's lesson about? And, uh, one kid was like, the lesson was about God. And, and I was like, okay, classic Sunday school answer. He wasn't listening. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of quiz him a little bit. And you're like, but wasn't, wasn't the lesson about Moses? What did Moses do? And he said, Moses didn't do anything. He just lifted up his wow. stick and, wow. and God parted the sea and drowned the Egyptians. And, and I, what I, you know, in that moment, I was like, oh, he was listening. He, in fact, he got the story better than I did um, mm-hmm. because he mm-hmm. was attuned to uh, who God is and, and what God had done through the passage and not, not just to a moral lesson. And, um, and I, th- I think that's really important. And, and identifying who needs the gospel in the story is just one of the tools uh, and helping kids identify with that person is just one of the tools to help get you there, uh, to help get you to that place where, where you're focusing on who Christ is and what Christ has done. Yeah. It can, and it's a bit more even memorable than, you know, what, FCF, you know, fallen yeah. condition focus, you know, yeah. um, but what, what a great way, even with kind of, yeah, the narratives to helps Bible interpreters to, to catch that. And then as we become Bible teachers, we can put that forward. It's just not what we want to do either. Is it yeah. like, we want to identify with whoever's strong. And yeah. I feel like Paul is writing about this a lot. He's like, no, you're the weak one. You know, I'm the weak one. We want to identify with outer glory and with strength. Um, But the cross is weak um, or it's strength, but it's strength displayed through weakness. And so um, coming to the gospel really does begin there identifying with that weak place. Yeah. 
Yeah. So one of the ways that children's ministry can lose focus is by losing focus of that. It's by getting the cart before the horse or the alleged strength in front of the the weakness. Um, so your, your your book is about kind of keeping children's ministries on mission. Like, what are some other ways that 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 children's ministries can kind of get off course or get off mission? We we've talked yeah, about the I, most important one, but there certainly are more as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the most important one. I think one that's slightly related is just a tendency for me is to want everything to be right on Sunday morning. Nothing um, wrong I think with that, some... buddy. <laughs> that, that's my life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I think that children's ministers in particular can be some of the most anxious people on the planet. And uh, we have this tendency, we are really concerned about cleanliness because we don't want the kids to get sick. Uh, we're really concerned about staffing ratios because we are really concerned about safety and security. Um, we're really concerned about everything being set up well for the team that comes. And then, you know, two or three people call off the night before and um, you show up and there's been a, a wedding in the building and, and folks spilt wedding cake in the middle of the check-in area for the children, children's wing. And, and, you know, it can be, anxiety inducing for the children's ministry staff person or for the the lay person that's leading the children's ministry and i i think that i excellence is a good thing like being hospitable and welcoming it people into a clean environment is a good thing um but i think that that level of anxiety sometimes uh demonstrate it it's evidence sometimes that we have misplaced our trust um, and that we're trusting and maybe having a beautiful attractional environment or trusting in our ability to pull a ministry off with excellence um, when the gospel really is where the power is. And so I think that is um, uh, sort of the related way, I guess, that that our hearts often get on track off of track. Um, it's not just we may have beautifully gospel centered lessons where we're helping kids identify with the neediest person in the story, but our hearts just be filled with anxiety because we're not by faith trusting that um, we're trusting in getting all of the things right. And so I, I think we have that danger um, in us. I think an another one of the dangers is, um, is just, I don't know. We're so idealistic. Sometimes we, we believe in, the priority of moms and dads to teach the next generation. Um, we believe in the priority of, of gospel-centered lessons, but sometimes it just keeps us from meeting people um, where they are. And there are even some churches these days that would say, um, we don't need to do children's ministry because this is the, the parent's responsibility. And I think my, my answer to that would be yes. I mean, that you know, the accusation is this is a cultural accommodation to like a daycare culture. And I'd, my answer would be, yes, it is a cultural accommodation. You would not have found a children's ministry classroom in Bible times, but all missions is a cultural accommodation to some, oh, to some point. degree, like every missionary effort is taking the good news, of the gospel, not compromising it, uh, but, but moving toward people and meeting them in, their culture. And so I think recognizing like 
we may have ideals about uh, the family or ideals about gospel teaching, um, but um, and a church family may be able to meet that ideal, um, but an unchurched family may not be able to make it through a Sunday morning with their kids in tow without a diaper blowout or the matchbox cars rolling up and down the front pew. And uh, we just want to be really careful to meet like folks where they are and to love them well, and then move them toward that ideal rather than having um, it, it, sometimes it's legalism, but sometimes it's just a, an idealism that's not um not connected to the real world where people live with broken legs and allergy shots and, and school carpool, you know? And so I, I think the danger there is, is uh, that same danger of the pastor who's not with his sheep that we want to, we want to move and be close and present uh, with people uh, to meet them where they are so that they might, might come to Christ um, and, and allow him to be the one who changes them and moves them along in that process of sanctification. Yeah. I mean, and of course, what a great distinction between, you know, the ideal and then, and then where we are. I mean, ideally every father would be catechizing his children and there would be this, you know, robust system of family work, you know, but that's just not how it is. You know, um, maybe it exists amongst, amongst some in every congregation, maybe some congregations have more or less, but also the reality is there's, there's such a thing as non-Christians, you know, and they, like their kids are not going to enjoy or, or benefit from being forced to sit through a, a, a boring sermon from pastor so-and-so um, downstairs, you know? So I, I really appreciate this, this realistic um, acknowledgement that like, yeah, it is accommodating, but we, why wouldn't we want to accommodate? Like God accommodated us. He, he sent his son to us. Uh, because of our need. And so we're able to serve others at their point of their need as well. Yeah. And I, I think, I think we believe in preaching the whole counsel of the word of God, but I also think we would want to say um, there are some portions of the word of God that aren't appropriate for children at a certain age. And so we definitely have Paul's letters where children are directly addressed. Um, but you know, we also have Song of Solomon that says, you know, this wasn't written for you. <laughs> you know, we have Proverbs that says this is written yeah, for the youth. Right. And yeah. then we and then we have Song of Solomon that's that's not written for the youth. It's written for another age. And so I I think one of the advantages of children's ministry is that it does allow us to teach in a developmentally appropriate way, um, in a way that brings God's word to bear. Um, to kids in the life stage that they're in. Um, and I think that serves parents, especially parents who are uh, new to church community and new to the gospel as well. So, um, I, you know, the Great Commission, I, the Great Commission goes in two directions. It grows across the world and it goes from generation to generation. And I just think that children's ministry is one of those uh, methods that the Lord has given us um, by his grace at this point in church history that I think is actually a helpful uh, ministry method for, for reaching the next generation. Yeah. Yeah. And if people want to learn more about it or, or get more of your thoughts kind of fleshed out, uh, the, the book is titled Keeping Your Children's Ministry on Mission. 
practical strategies for discipling the next generation. Is that right? That's correct. Did I miss that? I missed the subtitle. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's by Crossway and TGC together. Is that, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. We'll yes. have a, a link in the show notes and um, yeah, trust me guys, you, if, if you're excited about this stuff, uh, this book is a great thing to uh, invest in or to, to give to, uh, to somebody serving in this capacity. Uh, so Jared, here's the last question we've been asking. This is kind of the, the farewell or the final question for, for uh, these episodes. Um, how are you currently trying to improve? Like, how are you trying to get better uh, in your teaching ministry these days? Well, I'm learning how to teach adults again. Okay. So I, I um, have spent 13 years um, in a pastoral role, primarily teaching children and youth. And um, I'm, I'm stepping into a, a world and in the new role I have with the gospel coalition where I'm, 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 most of the time I'm teaching adults and, uh, and not kids. And so I'm learning, I'm being really stretched to there. Um, uh, I, I feel super comfortable in that preschool classroom, um, after, after 13 years and, uh, the pulpit has, has caused a little bit anxiety for me. Um, and I think, as I said earlier in the podcast, I, I think, um, helping, uh, moms and dads and adults, um, be able to identify uh, with where they most need the gospel and identify with the neediest people in the passage um, is something that I do remember that FCF from my preaching class. But um, I think sometimes knowing what to do and, and knowing how to execute it uh, when you're speaking to adults uh, or being practiced in, in moving the sermon forward is not the same thing. And so as a few of my friends have listened to some of my recent sermons, they're like, you know what the FCF is. You just need to keep your points there and keep them connected with it for, throughout. So that's something I'm learning how to do again. Man, sounds like you got some good friends. I'm happy to hear that. That's a, that's a great friend circle to be in. It's good to have good feedback from men who love you. Certainly. Yeah. Sometimes feedback can be hard to find because we just want to be nice, you know, and sounds like you have friends that love you enough to, to, to not be nice or to tell you specifically the areas for improvement. So that's great. Yeah. We're all just trying to grow and thank you so much for yeah teaching and encouraging us and yeah, all the best in your new ministry assignment. Thanks so much, Mike. All right. Well, thanks again to Jared. Uh, thanks to you for listening. Uh, make sure that you check out the show notes because there's a link to his book, Keeping Your Children's Ministry on Mission, Practical Strategies for Discipling the Next Generation, as well as gospelcenteredfamily.com and other resources, articles, and podcasts from Jared. Uh, please forward this on to any children's ministry workers that you may know. Uh, because I believe this conversation is going to be very encouraging to them. Also, one last invitation to you. Um, you're invited to join us in our Facebook private group. Uh, we've got a great and vibrant community on Facebook. Uh, you can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash expositors collective. I really enjoy 
seeing the questions and the conversations and even the mutual encouragement that takes place in that gated private little community. And we would love your voice and your presence there. So Expositors Collective um, private group on Facebook, facebook.com slash groups slash Expositors Collective. Okay, next episode is really great. Next episode is Dr. Sam Storms. This guy has been a distant, encouraging voice uh, to me for a long time. I was thrilled to be able to sit down and have a conversation with him, and I can't wait for you to listen in. I'm going to leave you with a clip from next episode. Make sure that you're subscribed so that this automatically shows up in your device next Tuesday morning. All right. I hope that this episode, next episode, and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. Here's Sam Storms. So my approach, you know, there are two texts of scripture um, that, um, really three texts of scripture that really weigh heavily on me when I think about the role of the spirit in sermon prep and in preaching. There's Psalm 119, verse 18, where the psalmist prays, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things in your word. That's a constant prayer. I pray that prayer before every sermon in the pulpit. The people of our church are tired, probably tired of me saying that. I say, folks, <laughs> let's, let's pray Psalm 119, 18 together. And then, of course, there's uh, Ephesians 1, 15 and following, where Paul talks about uh, the Spirit of God, um, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation, giving enlightenment to our hearts that we might know the hope of our calling. And then I think of uh, 2 Timothy 2, 7, where Paul said to Timothy, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I, it's interesting. Both sides of that verse have to be emphasized. There are some people who say, hey, I just want God to give me the understanding. I just want this download from the Spirit of God. And they bypass thinking. And then there are others who do all the thinking, but they don't depend on the Spirit to give understanding. And Paul says it's very clear. Think, apply your mind, examine, explore, study what is being said, because if you do that, the Spirit of God will give you understanding in the text. So that's very much uh, a part of my approach and my, and again, I just say, Holy Spirit, just at any point where I am, uh, and I pray this regularly, if any point that I am in danger of misleading your people, of uh, speaking error that might be damaging to their Christian lives, bring that to my awareness, bring conviction, somehow by some means alert me to that so I can um, be careful not to misuse my gift of teaching to mislead people.